Hi, everybody. Welcome back to PWG's Well Chat Podcast. As always, take what sounds interesting to you and use it well, but this is an educational podcast. So before you make any changes, please check with your own healthcare provider. All right. Today is a beautiful Sunday. It's sunny and we have a really relaxing topic <laughs> to talk about. Well, hopefully <laughs> relaxing. <laughs> Yes, this is Dr. Eileen, and hopefully we're trying to find a way to keep our life balanced. Sunday is a great day to kind of chill and mull over all the things you thought about during the week and try to come up with ways to combat the stress of the work week. Yes, good segue, Dr. Eileen. So one of the things well, I'm sure everyone's heard about this word called mindfulness, and it pops up a lot in the medical literature. It's getting a lot of play in the mainstream literature as a great way to combat stress, anxiety. If you look at the data, it helps improve concentration, decrease pain, it controls discomfort, it uh, includes all kinds of different functionalities, including biofeedback and yoga and hypnosis. And it can help everything from ticks to asthma to ADHD. I, I mean, honestly, the list of things that you could make better or control with mindfulness techniques is pretty surprising and pretty long, wouldn't you say? I would say that. I think the data suggests benefits for those things. I think that there are definite um, good studies showing um, benefits for anxiety and chronic pain and depression. And it's important to recognize for these uh, therapies that the studies are difficult to do and that some of the studies have very small sample numbers and the benefits can be measurable but very small. So I think it's recognized right now in the medical literature that more studies need to be done, but I don't think that anyone is concerned that these are not beneficial, and in general, they're safe. And that's really important when you're looking at studies. Absolutely. These things are first um, safe. I agree. Um, what was really hard for me was trying to figure out a way to describe mindfulness, because I feel like it's a word get, that gets tossed around a lot. Sometimes I'll tell people it's sort of the new millennium version of meditation, because that was the groovy word in the 70s and 80s. But honestly... It, I do think it's a, it's, it's a form of meditation, really, to me. And it's funny because mindfulness, I guess, so my people are from India, and, and, and it's just sort of a woven into the fabric of how you live. So if I had to describe it, I was really struggling with ways to describe it. I found, some, I found a great quote uh, from Viktor Frankl. Between stimulus and response, there is space. In that space lies our freedom and power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. So that sounds amazing. So how would you explain that to a five-year-old? So I would Ooh, say... Oh, that's a good quote because I like it, it. Im it implies that you have choice, which is so important in any situation or conflict that you I, have I agree. a choice. So in my quest to try to explain this to a five-year-old, I would say, you know, on the playground when someone hurts your feelings or they take your toy or they bump into you or they trip you and you want to turn around and call them a big fat poo-poo head in the moment that might feel really good or it could be the only thing that you can think of doing but if you call that 
person a big fat poopy head, you're going to get in trouble. Everyone's going to be upset. You're going to cry. It's not the best solution. So mindfulness, age-appropriate mindfulness techniques allow people to have that little tiny pause where they can look at somebody and not call them a big fat poo head and create that whole line of consequence. They can actually choose what would be what would be good in this situation. Should I get up and walk away? Should I be silent? Should I say something? And if I say something, what do I say? So to me, mindfulness is less about a thing or a feeling and more about building that capacity that we all have to recognize what we're feeling and stop and pick the best response in that moment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I mean, I like to think about it as it's you're paying attention to the experiences of the moment and you're not making any judgments, right? There's a lot of, whenever I read about mindfulness, there's a lot of, of talk about not at, at looking at something without judgment. Correct. And so actually you have almost quoted verbatim from John Kabat-Zinn, who is pretty much recognized as one of the pioneers of mindfulness in the Western tradition. And his definition is almost exactly what you said, paying attention with moment to moment awareness on purpose in a particular way without judgment. And to your point, I, I do feel that that paying attention to what's happening right now is the process. That's how you get to the point of being able to pick a response. And, and I don't even think it's a conscious, I'm going to pick response A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, it becomes a habit where you stop, you, you recognize it, and then you make that judgment. Uh, there is some interesting science around it. The brain is more pliable between birth and two years of age, four and six years of age, and around puberty. And and this should not be surprising to anybody who works with kids. We, we all know that the first two or three years are super important in terms of developing brain connections. They're like sponges. Exactly. They're looking at everything. They're testing the waters. They're repeating things you say. They're like sponges. And then for those of you who have t transitional kindergartners, preschoolers, kindergartners, you know that a four-year-old is very different than a five-year-old, which is who is very different than a six-year-old. There's huge shifts that happen. And then... Certainly for parents of teenagers or tweenagers, <laughs> you know, I don't even have to tell you stuff's going on. Things get a little bit more difficult sometimes. There's a lot of eye rolling and, yes. and uh, I don't know and heavy sighing and it's, but you know that feeling, time. I hear this a lot. People come and say, I don't know what happened to my child. Yes, they went away for a little while. That <laughs> is true. They did go away for a little while. They're still in there, but there's all this other stuff that's happening in their brain, and they're they're going to come back to you, but it's going to be a bumpy ride sometimes. And and that is also true in the literature around this. The Academy of Pediatrics got super interested in mindfulness after a January 2016 study came out that looked at students in Baltimore City public schools who were generally low-income and between the ages of fifth grade and eighth grade, the young adults who had had mindfulness training had fewer signs of quote-unquote toxic stress. That includes depression, self-hostility, which I think is a fancy word for saying I want to hurt myself, mm -hmm. negative mood, unhealthy coping approaches, and post-traumatic symptoms. That's huge. That is huge. I mean, 
I rattle that off, but to take a pause, this is a technique that you anybody can do. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't need any special equipment. You don't need a special place to go. And there's good data that says even doing it for a few minutes a day, if doing something like that with zero side effects for a few minutes a day can give you all of those benefits, to me, that is phenomenal. I agree. I think um, there's a place for this. And the benefits, even for somebody that doesn't identify with something that's diagnosable, uh, yeah. I think it can be really helpful, again, going to this concept of balance and trying to keep your life uh, and the balance of the stresses you have uh, better, how you handle it. So I always find it interesting. I don't know how many of the people who are listening have done any mindfulness or any formal mindfulness. Have you had an experience or want to share any of your mindfulness experiences? Well, I know... I mean, mindfulness to me comes under the heading of forms of meditation, really, because um, I think about yoga sometimes as a form of meditation that's to movement, mindfulness um, as a a form of meditation. I can tell you I had an experience with meditation. The first time I did it was on a trip with you, actually. We were in uh, Thailand. It was a trip. And we were asked to sit for five minutes and breathe and empty our minds. And uh, I remember thinking five minutes is going to be a really long time to sit. And I'm going to hear noises and I'm I'm sure I'm going to get a mosquito bite because they love me. (laughs) And I'm not going to be able to empty my mind. And uh, it was really interesting. It was, it was it was really, it was interesting. That's all I can say. I really was able to empty my mind and no mosquitoes bit me. So I don't know what that means. You're amazing. But I felt better after five minutes. It really was a way to almost just get off the hamster wheel. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent example. I, um, I remember as a little kid, all of the spiritual traditions involved some form of meditation and I remember as a little kid being just kind of quite frankly annoyed because everyone else all the grown-ups in the room seemed to close their eyes and know exactly what to do and I'm sitting there going I I don't get it what are you doing what do you mean don't think of anything so I would close my eyes and you know you're a little kid you just your your mind would drift but I realized that what that was was practice to actually just sit and pay attention to what comes up I didn't have the vocabulary to express it that way. It just, that's what it was. Uh, And it was interesting how much richer my creative juices were. Um, I love to write, still like to write, but make believe and making up stories and imagination was definitely richer. And I didn't put two and two together until I started reading some of the uh, research around mindfulness. And as an adult, I find carving out just a couple of minutes in the morning and just a couple of minutes at night are nice bookends to the day. They really do help reset. Um, What do I mean by that? I mean, sometimes you wake up and you are quite literally in a snarky mood and you don't know why, or you go to bed and you're in a snarky mood. And to me, the couple of minutes just helps reset that and refocus that. And that makes me feel better. So as an adult, I find 
it's a it's a good practice to do. You touched upon different kinds of meditation. I feel like it's good to talk about that a little bit because we keep referring to meditation and mindfulness like they're the same thing. Kind of, sort of not. Uh, there, There is a chart, and for those of you who are listening, do not panic. We're going to have all of this in the liner notes. So you don't have to worry about it. But the, the different types of meditation, there's concentrating on a word or a thought or a sensation or an image. And that, I remember, was big in the 70s, a transcendental meditation. Remember that, TM? Yes. <clears throat> we have been al- alive long enough to remember Yeah, <laughs> I'm old. I remember that. <laughs> um, the relaxation response, the breath focus meditation, mantra met repetition. So that's big uh, in my people's world. Meditation on a prayer, a mandala, or other images. So that, I think, was sort of the classic idea of meditation. Then there's the mindfulness-based stress reduction that we're talking about. There's one word that gets floated around, vipassana type mindfulness. That's actually... What is what is that? So that doesn't really sound very pleasant to me. Remember you were talking about that story about uh, being in Thailand. I remember that meditation session. And I remember the, the teacher saying, you know, if you're uncomfortable or if your foot falls asleep or it cramps, you just need to be aware of it, but don't, don't do anything about it. That's vipassana. Like that's recognizing the sensations whether they're pleasant or unpleasant but not responding to it that that was hard <laughs> i have not enjoyed you had the f- foot pain i guess and yeah, i had the yeah. mosquito bite yeah I was worried yeah about. that was that was not not my favorite and then you brought up yoga tell me about i think you are you you practice yoga much more regularly than i do I, no, I'm, I, I was a former dancer, so I like things that allow me to practice balance and core strength. And yoga, I think, again, to me, it's concentrating on breathing and movement. And for me, yoga means I'm really concentrating on that and I'm letting everything else go. So to me, it's a, it is a form of movement-based meditation, but there are others. Tai Chi, I mean, my people also have done Qigong. Um, my ancestors and then anybody who has heard about Sufi dancing or whirling that's actually I have not ever seen that in 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 real time you you can YouTube it but it's I don't know how they can do that Uh, you know that going around and around as a form of meditation yep that's also really amazing so for me that's what I think about um with meditation, with movement. There's also a lot of work or a lot of stuff coming out about cultivating positive emotions. There's this whole idea that like attracts like and whatever frequency your emotions are vibrating at, whatever you put out in the world is what you're going to get back in the world, basically. And I know that the Buddhist traditions have lots of practices around cultivating compassion and loving kindness. Uh, I know Tara Brock is an amazing... Uh, Buddhist teacher who has her own set of podcasts. Highly recommend those. There's also something that's come out quite a bit in our area called heart math. Have you heard about heart math? Yes, I have. I think you know more about it than I do. Well, I don't know about that, but it is inter- it's a really specific type of biofeedback, which has been very successful in helping people recognize the physical cues to help cultivate this sense of gratitude or compassion. I think that's So are they looking at your heart rate, your breathing? I, how I think are they? so. Honestly, I haven't done a heart math session, but I think it involves 
um, paying attention to your heart rate, how quick it is, your respirations, and then sort of like other biofeedback techniques where when you're keeping track of your heart rate or your respirations, you pay attention to things that you need to do to lower your heart rate or decrease your res respirations. Biofeedback was big in asthma. I remember when we were residents, okay, I'm going to date ourselves a little bit, but they were just starting to work with biofeedback techniques to help kids with really bad asthma take better control of their symptoms. You remember that? Yes. And they had these fancy, I want to call pre-virtual reality, almost like, the, remember the video games? And you the mean like Pong? Yes. <laughs> so really simple video games. And the kids could, the, the better they got at controlling their heart rate and their breathing, the better they did at the video games, which I thought was super ingenious. Well, using technology to motivate kids right? to do something different. Power of good. I think looking at all these meditation practices, the other interesting thing is um, some form of meditation has existed for, for the known duration of mankind. I know, it's fascinating, isn't it? So some form of this has existed. I, I was reading something over 2,000 years. If you look at any way to check the history, right, written, verbal histories, um, it's interesting that this exists. And I think there's, the studies still are very difficult to do because there's so many other variables when you're looking at the impact of it. You are bringing up a good point, though. It feels certainly, I, I'm, I'm not a historian. I don't play one on TV, but it certainly seems like a mindfulness or meditation tradition has lasted as long as human beings have been around. And it's in multiple locations. Um, it just has a different format depending on the culture that you're in. But almost every civilization that I can think of has some form of a mindfulness technique. And I feel also that it would be incomplete to leave the talk about mindfulness without talking about prayers and the spiritual aspect of mindfulness. I know for a lot of people that's a really important part of their mindfulness practice. I am not here to disrespect anybody's spiritual traditions. I think whatever... No, those are very personal. They're it's your personal relationship with spirit or source or the universe. And whatever that relationship is, that's on, that's great. Or not. <laughs> but I think it's a really powerful way to tap into this idea of using an anchor, like a spiritual tradition or a mantra or visualization. If that's what it takes to help tap into this practice. Great. That's great. I think that's great. Doing the rosary. I don't know. Whatever it takes. I know uh, we've talked briefly in other episodes about technology and how that can make things more stressful. Are there some apps or things you've recommended to your patients? I have, and it's funny. That actually it? help? I was just going to say it's ironic to, to say technology is awful, but there's these great apps. But in the case of mindfulness, there are really good apps. Um, Calm, C-A-L-M, comes up a lot. Headspace is a great one. Insight Timer is a great one. Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. I love that title. That, is a, that just calls to mind the little three or four-year-old who's exactly. running around the room. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Stop, Breathe, and Think. I like that one too. And Smiling Mind. So those are some I, apps that I think are really, really great. But the other question I get is how much to do because it's not, I don't know about you, but I can't 
carve out an hour every day. I know some people do, and I am always impressed by that. But but we did find some guidelines, did we not? We did. We did. So for preschool kids, you might just do a few minutes a day. Um, it's, it's even hard for them to sit still. It is. But I remember even teaching kids to stop and enjoy a moment. I think I, you're really good at I that. I have this vague recollection. I'm going to give this credit to my mother. I have a vague recollection for when I was very small of walking places with her in parks or fields. And sometimes she would just say, stop and feel the sun on your face. I think or what do you smell? And without knowing, she was actually teaching me mindfulness. I think that's super powerful. And I've seen you do it now. You're, you're very good at stopping and look at the bird, look at that. And I think for parents, that's I see that a lot when you're on a walk. You know that phrase, seeing things through a child's eye? Yes. They, they will stop and look and marvel at so many things. They still see things. And to your point, that is a form of mindfulness. You're paying attention to what's in front of you right now, and I think that's great. And that's something you can do every single day easily mm -hmm. with your kids. Uh, the thank you, you can make it part of the the dance. We, we had an episode on exercise and how to incorporate that into exercise. You can certainly incorporate mindfulness, thank you dance. I don't know what it is, a happy dance. I think for preschool kids, it's much easier to have mindfulness if you're doing it with some form of movement as opposed to let's all sit here and meditate on whatever it is. I mean, great if you can, but good luck. Um, grade school kids, they've actually quantified it to three to ten minutes twice a day. That's not very much time nope. for nope. benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a dad come in and tell me that his kiddo was acting up in school and this is really a big problem and this dad who was super smart one day realized that all the other parents were staying um to watch their kids walk in the room and do that whatever that transition is from drop-off time to being in the classroom but this dad wasn't he was leaving so he said i'm i just tried it for a couple of weeks where he had this phrase this little speech that he gave to his four-year-old um, something along the effects of, you know, do good things, learn good things, be a good person. I don't know what it was, but it was a little A little bit phrase. of a mantra. Exactly. And after that point, no more problems in school. And I thought, isn't that a powerful example of a way to build in mindfulness and you didn't even know you were doing it, right? And mm -hmm. it just takes a few seconds in the morning. And you could do the same thing when you're picking up your kids or when you're walking in the house or when that moment when you've stopped the car, you're getting ready to go in the house, whatever moment it is, it's pretty, it, when you think about it, it's much easier to, to fold in than I thought. What do you think? I think those are really good suggestions. And also I think when you stop and do that, you're giving your full attention yep. to something and to someone Yep. and giving your full attention to someone is harder and harder in this day and age. Yeah, that's well said. With technology. So that also shows your kid this is important and you are important and I am communicating something important. There's a whole bunch of very good stuff going on in that situation. Can I just riff on that for a second? Please. I love what you said about when you focus on something or someone, you're communicating that you're really important. And I want to take a moment for everybody who's ever been 
trying to be in two places at once. The specific example I have is of the really busy parent who's in the doctor's office with their child and they've got a work call or they've got a meeting or something that they're trying to juggle and they're in the room. It is sends such a powerful message to your child when you actually turn off your phone, put it away, and your entire attention is on your child. The message that you can convey in doing that is so much more effective than anything else I can say or do. What do you think? I think you're right on. And we have had this, we have seen this happen yep. in the office. And we, as your child's pediatrician, feel it's really important. The job we do is really important to be your child's advocate, to help make decisions together about what's going to be the best for your family and your child. And when you're on the phone while we're trying to do something, really, to me, the message that you send is this isn't that important. The doctor-patient relationship isn't that important. Um, what I have is more important than you. And this may be completely unintentional on the pa on the on the part of the parent, but it's a very powerful thing you're sending by I your agree. actions. Yeah, I agree. And, and and actions often speak louder than words. That's such yeah. a cliche, but it is very true. And in the context of mindfulness, it it, it is. When you put the phone away, you're also not setting the example that it's okay to prioritize whatever's on the other end of that phone over what's happening in the here and now. And I feel like technology has accelerated the conversation about mindfulness a little bit. Um, and I didn't mean to hijack this conversation on that one, but I, I, I really offer this up as something to think about. Um, and it's not just the doctor's office. It's, it's any situation right. where you may be in a, may be supposed to, make your child the priority, but something else comes up. And we understand the juggling piece of this, but you should be intentional some of the time every day that your child knows their focus is only on them. You miss out on a lot of beauty. You and I were on another trip and we were somewhere at a restaurant and there was this couple, this lovely couple and this beautiful little girl and they were sitting and this little girl was, she couldn't have been more than three or four. And she was so maybe well five. She probably wanted to call them all poo poo heads, but she keep going. She was so, and it was a kind of a fancy restaurant. And she was so well behaved. And both of these parents were lost in their phones. And you and I could see that this little girl was trying very hard to find some joy in that moment. But she was the only one in that trio that was actually present in that moment. And she, yeah, she was blocked out. She didn't have a phone. They she, were all yep, on their phone. Yep. And it wasn't even taking pictures. Nope. They were doing something on their phone. It so was really sad. I, I We both came away from that feeling really sad that you missed out. We got to appreciate this moment of beauty with watching that little girl. Her parents missed out on that. And they unintentionally or unwittingly set the example to her that whatever was on the other side of that phone was more important than what was happening in the here and now. So if you, if you remember nothing from this episode, <laughs> just remember one of the fastest ways to be more mindful is to turn off anything with a power button and just pay attention to the here and now. Um, for teens and adults, five to 45 minutes a day or more than that, as much as you can do, um, might help I, you to uh, tune out the train that's going by our right? office. Right, what train? <laughs> um, but the 
The five minutes sounds like a long time, especially if you're not used to it. It goes by so fast, though. Once That's you, what I learned. Yeah, it goes by so And I start, I, I literally tell people start with 30 seconds, a minute. Just do something really small. I think Headspace or Calm, one of those two, they have, well, actually a lot of the, the apps that we mentioned have the ability for you to start out really small. I think 30 seconds or a minute is a doable chunk. I um, agree. It's a good place to start. I think so. Then for those of you who are listening going, I don't really care what they say. I'm not really into this woo-woo stuff. I don't understand mindfulness. Great. We have a suggestion for you. Go take a walk. Get outside. Find something green. Be around it. Um, nature's a powerful stimulus for happiness and well-being and fostering a sense of mindfulness whether you knew it or not right right it doesn't have to be you don't have to say to yourself okay I'm going to meditate right now correct or I'm going to do 30 seconds of this it could be I'm going to go outside and sit and take a few deep breaths and enjoy the sun on my face and to your I was just going to say to your mom's point but not get a sunburn exactly that's for the dermatologist out there sunscreen on (laughs) um and really the other theme I think is this we are reaching you through this medium of technology so it can be wonderful but there's also some lots of unintended consequences and one of them I think is the toll it takes on mindfulness so limiting your screen time limiting social media being careful about what you listen to what you watch what you read is super important and I know people talked about FOMO in the beginning, the fear of missing out, and I'm starting to see more and more signs of JOMO, which is the joy of missing out, which I think is... So FOMO should be replaced by JOMO. Exactly. The joy of missing out, because there is joy in not having to see all the things you're not doing. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. That's just wonderful. I want JOMO. Me too. So on that note, I think we should all just turn off this podcast... (laughs) Go and outside. Do do a few minutes of joy and heavy and deep breathing I and agree. Jomo. If you got some kids, go do a happy dance. We hope this helped. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye.